this room, God, in the lives of every person in this room, God. Lord, we exalt you, God. We lift you high in this last session. We're going to make this count, God. We're going to make this last session count for you, God. We're going to give you our all, God, today, Lord God, right now. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone. Let's just sing this song today. Let's seek the Lord now. We worship you. Fight for I belong in your presence. 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 Fight for
presence to fight for I belong Just to be with you, to be with you I fight for I belong I fight for I belong In your presence I fight for I belong Just to be with you, to be with you I fight for I belong, yeah I fight for I belong In your presence, I find found in your presence, I 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 found in your Beloved, and he is mine. 
So come and see your God and take delight in me. Oh, you take delight in me. 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 Delight. I find far I belong. I finally found I belong in your presence. I finally found I belong. It's to be with you, to be with you. I finally found I belong. I finally found I belong in your presence. I finally found I belong. To be with you. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done to us this week. And God, you've just wrecked us in so many ways. Father, we just ask, Father, that as we close out this retreat, Father, 2012, that we will remember the work you're doing in our lives. Father, God, that we will continually go after you. Father, that we will pursue, that we would press in, that we will consider your purpose, God, and know that what's happening in our life is to fulfill your will, to your glory to come. God, we just ask, Father, you just seal it right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Praise God. Slap somebody high five and say, let's do it. Amen. You may be seated. Birdo and another assistant, would you come and pull this down for me, please? Well, this is the last session. Has it been a good trip? Think about what you've gotten out of these last maybe 40 hours. Has it changed your life? I mean, just think about it. Not even two days, only one night and two days. And you have been probably changed more than in months before. And if some of you are saying, Pastor, you know, I didn't get that out of it, but I did enjoy it. That's okay. Your time is coming. You know, sometimes uh, we come to these things out of obedience and God doesn't show up at that moment. I've been through retreats, and I was so expectant, but I didn't give up hope. God did it another time, okay, amen? But we can rejoice with those who came and saw some of their miracles met because we know that that encourages us that ours is right around the corner, amen? If Daddy got their birthday present, your birthday's coming up soon too, amen? God, our God's a good God. He's a good dad. He's our Abba Father, which is Daddy, Poppy God, Amen? I just want to share with you a few things to close out this wonderful time here in Wisconsin. I want you to open up your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. And I just want to talk to you about purpose, bringing it all together, what Brother Glenn was sharing with us. Purpose. Can everybody say purpose? Thank you. You know, it's such an honor to be your pastor. I want to take this time to really say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for trusting us. Uh, guys, ushers, can we arrange these chairs? It kind of looks a little disorganized there. Thank you. Uh, but I just want to thank you guys for trusting us, coming to the retreat. Can everybody move into the first three rows? I don't know. You may not like me after, after this. We've got to see if, this, if we've all learned our lessons on how to find seats here. Okay. Uh, four, four, first four rows, you know. Come on, come on. Thank you. 
as I'm thanking you for being so awesome. Hopefully you think I'm awesome. Oh, thank you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. I want to thank you for trusting us, giving up your time. You know, a lot of times you come to these retreats and you feel like, man, the preacher always telling me I need to change, I need to change. And you can get discouraged. I mean, you showed up. You're the good guy, okay? So we're happy you're here. But the reason why a lot of times at the retreat we're talking about change and change is because we as pastors and leaders, we want to get down into your heart, the bedrock of who you are. If you look at the natural world, there's soil, topsoil, and then there's different layers of, of ground and different types of dirt. But uh, when you get to bedrock, you get into the foundation of uh, where we build skyscrapers and different things. And what happens a lot of times in church is we just get to the surface level with your life, you know. Uh, sometimes even life groups can be just topsoil, just dealing where the grass is. But in a retreat, we like to go a little deeper to the, the bedrock. And I was listening to what Glenn was sharing with us, and I thought it was so good. And what I would like to do uh, just for the next few moments is tie it all together for Metro Praise for us to be able to digest it and then to go into our life groups for the final hour. And if you don't have a life group, you'll find one today. And to be a part of a life group and then really just build that relationship stronger and let them know what God did in your life. Let them know some things that you may be still praying for and really leave out of fear deeper in relationship with God and each other. Loving God, loving people. Have you guys ever heard that before? Love God, love people. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing we should do in the church. Everybody say purpose. Thank you. Look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Here is your purpose. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Somebody say holy. Thank you. The word holy means to be set apart. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament times, and it deals with how God asked his priest and his tabernacle and, and worship to be done. It was holy. And the way we could understand this now separate, set apart, holy, it's what it means, is God is not like us. God is not imperfect. God does not have faults. God is perfect. So God is the definition of holy. He is perfect in love. He's perfect in character. He is perfect in all that he does. There is not a thought that you're thinking right now that he doesn't already know. So he is perfect in all knowledge. There's not an action that you can't do that he doesn't already know you're going to do. He knew the, the end of your days from the beginning of your days and before you were even a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye and Art Kelly or Al Green was on. God is holy, perfect in all knowledge. And not only does he do this in a temporal sense of past, present, and future, how we look at time, but if you put past, present, and future as a straight line and then bend it and put a circle there, like past, present, and future, God encompasses the whole circle called time, and he tosses it in the air, and he works it for his own glory. He is omniscient, all, that means all-knowing, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's omnipresent all at one time. And he created time, space, and matter for a certain reason, and that is for us to be holy like him come on somebody god is big and he's awesome we're not so big and awesome but we are put here to be like him and the angels that fly around his throne you look at revelation don't fly around his throne going you're such a nice guy you're such a nice guy you're such a nice guy they don't fly around his throne singing the the theme song of barney i love you you love me they fly around his throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. He encompasses all of what you know as time. He is holy. 
Holy means to be set apart in all ways, not just moral, but in all ways. But what I want you to think about is in morality right now, how God is set apart from us. God can never lie because he's not like us. The Bible says God, God is not a man he cannot lie. So you and I can lie because we have a characteristic inside of us, a nature that is unholy. And from the fall, when Adam and Eve eat, ate the apple, they have intrinsically in their nature a sinful nature. And like AIDS can be passed down from mother to daughter, a mother to children. It's been passed down from generation to generation. So when we are born, we are born unholy with the propensity to sin where God never sins, never can sin. Sometimes people ask, you know, Jesus was tempted, you know, by the devil, three temptations. And each one of them, he responded, it is written, he overcame the devil. And people sometimes like to create a conundrum for God and say, what if Jesus would have sinned? If Jesus would have sinned, we wouldn't exist right now. We would have went into oblivion. And I can guarantee somewhere hellfire where we would all come into existence. Imagine waking up consciously, whatever age that is, three, four years old, and you find yourself in a lake of fire, bottomless pit for eternity, gnashing your teeth. That probably would have been just a taste of what would have happened if Jesus would have sinned but thank god he didn't sin amen because jesus when he was on the earth was the perfect representation of the father he said be ye perfect for your heavenly father is perfect he says i don't do anything unless i see him do it and it's always my desire to please him so when jesus lived on the on the world a lot of times we look at the greatest miracles he did it's like you know he healed the sick he raised the dead but the greatest thing jesus ever did is he lived without sin now think about that. You might see a miracle. You might, you might feel some goosebumps up and down your head. But have you ever tried to go a year without sinning? I mean, Jesus went 33 years without sinning. That's a remarkable thing. And some of you might say right off the bat, well, Jesus must have been Superman because he was God in the flesh and he must have had a little superpower. No, the Bible says when he came into the flesh, it's the word kenosis. He emptied himself of all of his divine privileges. So he basically came in the world like us and was challenged in all ways like us, tempted like us, and yet without sin. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is awesome. Now, a lot of times people think Jesus is like everybody else. You go to these different uh, religious classes. Uh, they're teaching them now in college and high school comparative religion. Jesus is like Buddha and like Muhammad. It's like a little buffet of religion. I'll take a little Jesus with my Buddha and take a little, you know, yin and yang with it. We don't understand. Krishna was not holy. Krishna from the Hindu religion is supposed to be the kind of a son of God. He comes on the earth. He's blue. He does all these weird things. You know what Krishna did for fun one day? Krishna went to where the maidens were bathing the young teenage girls, and he hid all their clothes so that they would come out naked. And then he teased them with their clothes in some little sexual perverted game of them running around, you know, while they were naked. See, Krishna's not holy. You study about Muhammad. Muhammad's far from holy. This is not just trying to be mean to Muhammad. This is telling you actual fact. He was a warlord. He married a nine-year-old girl. He was influenced by demons. He killed people. This is what you see today. They call extreme Islam. It's really natural Islam. This pretty picture you see in the American society right now is a fake Islam. Terrorism, blowing people up. That's real Islam because that's how Muhammad lived. He killed, he conquered, he married people. Wrote a book on it. You can check it out. You'll love it. I can keep you here all day. Buddha the same way. People like to give him a little bit of slack and they say, well, you know, he kind of believed in just this, you know, pantheistic God. God is everything. Ooh, the God's in the air. God's in the energy. Everybody just go, ooh. But you know what? Somewhere along the line, he, you know, he did a birds and the bees type thing and he had a baby. You know what he said to his son? He said, you're my ball and chain. I hate that you were ever born because you keep me from nirvana. Can you believe that? He was trying to be so religious that he said his child was a ball and chain to him. Because it gave him earthly attachments. Jesus stands out from all the rest, my friends. Because he was holy, morally pure, 
separate. Like you're sitting there, I'm standing here, there's a divide between us. That's how God is to us times a million. There is a divide between us and him. We could never approach him. We couldn't go to him. Religion tries to build little stairways up to heaven. We fail every time. You can't pray enough. You can't fast enough. You can't help enough old ladies across the street enough. You fail because your unholiness is a de- it's just despicable to a holy God. This is the way Jonathan Edwards said it in the Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God sermon. He said the way you get annoyed as a gnat comes or a mosquito tries to suck your blood and you swat it, that's how God looks to us as sinners. We are totally an annoyance to him, totally unclean and unpure. And he could slap us down with his wrath without even thinking twice about it because his holiness demands it. Get away from me. You're unholy. You're unclean. All you do is take from me. But I'm so glad that out of God's holiness, his character comes his love. Because the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so this is how we understand the holiness, the perfection, the righteousness, the judgment of our God with why we're still breathing today, not waking up in hell. It's because God loves us and he wants to give us a chance of salvation. He wants us to change. He wants us to be what Peter is saying. See, Peter, one of Jesus' favorite disciples, you could take his word on it. You know, if you say you know Joe and and you ask somebody, hey, what's Joe like? And you go, you know, Joe is just the gentlest, kindest guy I've ever met in my life. And we're like, what Joe are you talking about? You know, come on, we know each other, right? You guys know me. And then, and then if, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody says, you know, Joe's radical, he's passionate, you're like, okay, that's, that's the guy I'm talking about. If, if anybody would know Pete, uh, uh, Jesus, it would be Peter. And he said, be holy because God is holy. And when he makes this quotation, he's saying it is written. That means he's referring back to a prior place in Scripture where it's already been said. So this is an Old Testament concept of God's holiness. Can somebody say holy? Thank you. Now, here's where I want you to understand this. When you are not holy, separated from this world, coming to Jesus, asking him to change you, you don't know your purpose. And when you don't know your purpose, you can't be the person God called you to be. And sometimes the devil in our culture wants to make sin so appetizing and so deceitfully good that we sometimes think that sin is just like that extra chocolate cake that really it's not going to hurt anybody if I just have that extra chocolate cake. You have to understand sin is not just a little bit of overindulgence. Sin is the destruction of the purpose God made you for. Sin is the exact opposite of who your father is. And when you choose to live in it, you are in rebellion towards a king who will one day judge you. When we conquered nations, when we conquered Afghanistan, those that kept firing weapons, we fired on them. You keep living sinful, God will punish you. You are an enemy of God by your sin. And now that I have a master's uh, degree from a cemetery, I mean a seminary, uh, so many people ask me, Joe, I mean, have you changed? Have you loosened up a little bit? Have you, have you gotten just a little bit softer? No, I've gotten more intense because I've learned the penalty over studying history and time. When we as Christians stop living holy, I've seen what, it happens, what has happened to our nation. That's why you've got to come tomorrow and see how we've got to get back the mountain of government. I see what happens to families. I see the divorces, the, the, the molestation 
salvation. Sin is not just an overindulgence of something that can be good at times. Sin is destruction upon this earth. And when you think about the first sin, Adam and Eve, it wasn't Adam going out and stealing, committing corporate fraud. It wasn't rape or murder. It was Adam and Eve being disobedient. It was them saying, I'm not going to be like you. They got separated from their God. They used to walk naked. You ever wonder how in the world Adam and Eve could walk naked and it be so normal? And then they don't even know they are naked. Just look up at one of these light bulbs and try to tell me what is written on the glass part of that light bulb. Tell me the wattage. Normally it's written on the glass part, the brand Phillips. You can't even see it because now I got a bunch of blotches all over the place right now. Where am I reading? So you can't even read the writing on that. You know why? Because the light is so bright. They didn't even pay attention to their flesh, their outside appearance, because the glory of God shone through them so bright. That's who they understood themselves to be. They were spirits that had a soul, a mind that lived in a body. They weren't the body and they weren't just their soul. They knew that the spirit is where all their life came from. And they shone in the glory of God. That's what you're going to be like in heaven, by the way. And the moment they disobeyed God, they separated themselves from God. They saw their flesh. They knew they were naked. And what did they do? Did they go run to God and say they were sorry and say, hey, we shouldn't have eaten from the tree. We're disobedient. No, they run and hide. And then they hear God coming through the garden and they try to clothe themselves with fig leaves. Isn't all of our best effort on this earth just a bunch of fig leaves to God? Your job, your education, your family. I mean, you put it all up before God and say, this is what makes me a good man. This is what makes me please my Savior, please my Creator. Isn't it all just a bunch of fig leaves? I mean, I'm a great father. I mean, I'll challenge any of you to put your fatherly dad deeds against mine. But I'll tell you right now, I know my God really well. And I know that my fatherly deeds are just fig leaves in His presence. Son, nice try, but... You're still naked. I see your butt crack, actually. Fig leaves don't cover a whole lot, do they? Then God says, yeah, I I see you trying. I get it. God says he sees our righteous deeds that we try to do without him. But he says, you don't understand. You just keep making filthy rags. Why? Because God is so holy. You know, you don't understand holiness until you compare it to other things. Uh, You've ever been at a restaurant, cup of water, you know, glass of water, ever have a speck in it? See, because you wanted holy water. You wanted clean water. And you saw that speck and you wanted to get out of it. You ever been at a restaurant outside, you're eating food, then a fly gets into it and you're like, oh, I don't want it. See, because you want holy food. You see, we all understand what it's like to want things pure. For example, when we get married, husbands and wives, we make these vows to each other. Uh, you know, we expect there to be purity, holiness in the, the matrimony. That's why we call it holy matrimony. Marriage is a holy thing, pure, separate from the debauchery of the clubs, the sinfulness out there. Are you guys with me? I don't stand before my fiancé, soon-to-be wife, and say, hey, I'm going to be faithful six days out of the week, but Tuesdays? That belongs to me in the go-go club. It gets quiet when I preach like that because every wife right now, like the, the nails just came out. You don't play that. You don't, woman, you don't want that. 
See, we understand it in all these other concepts. I mean, take, for example, uh, you know, your doctor, he comes to do an operation on you, and uh, he doesn't put on the gloves, but instead he was just out doing the weed work around the building that day. He's got dirt all in his fingernails, and he goes, yeah, you know, he puts his fingers in his mouth. We're just going to cut you open. I'm just going to dig in and get some stuff out, and we're going to fix you up. It, you know, it was it was a it was just a mind blow of an invention when we figured out half the diseases of the you know the first part of our world was spread through the doctors and through medicine because they didn't know to wash their hands before they would meet uh, meet with the new uh, client. You would come in with the uh, flu and he would touch on you, and then the other person would come in and just be like, "Hey, I got a tummy ache." He would touch and you would catch the flu. You you would come out worse than who you were before because these things were transmitted. I want you to look at some of these things up here and get an idea of purpose and an idea of holiness, okay? So, so here we have a drill, and then here we have like, like a nail that goes with the drill, right? Uh, Brian, can you come up and help me with this? Brian, you are an expert at tools, are you not? Correct. Okay, can you hold this for me real quick? Now, we're not going to do it because I don't want to damage their thing. But just for the example, come on over here. If, thank you. If I set this right here and I said, will you hammer in this nail for me? What do you think this, uh, what would happen to this plastic, you trying to hammer in a nail with it? It would break. It would break. Let's give it up for Brian, expert witness today. Thank you. See, I want you to understand this. When you use the drill for unholy purposes things that it was not meant purely to do, you destroy it. You ruin it, right? Okay, let's, let's go to something else right here. Let's go to a fishing rod. Do I got any fishermen in the house? Who's a fisherman? Okay, I got a young man. He's going to be my expert. You going to be my expert? Okay, let's give it up for the young man fishing right here. Come on right here. Now, this is probably not what you're used to. This is kind of the kiddie one with that right there, right? Yeah, yeah a little bit. You're used to the real, real where you click it down, right? Yeah. What type of fish you like to catch? Uh, anything that's bass, bass, bluegill, crappie. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, can I ask you a question real quick? Uh, can you go to MetroPraise.org website with this, please? I want to check on some things at our website. How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> where's, where's, where's the button? Oh, here's one. If, if I said to you, I'm going to give you all week to master this, to get online for me, could you use this to get online? No. Let's give it up for our expert in fishing today. If I even tried to do that, you would think I was crazy. You would be putting me in a loony bin. You'd be like, Joe, this is a fishing rod. You throw it, you cast it, you reel it. By the way, I love to shark fish. Got some pictures on Facebook I can show. I love fishing. You see, sometimes we think of sin and all of this as just dirty, disgusting things. Sometimes we don't even understand that sin is just living outside of our purpose. That we just miss God when we don't do the things he wants us to do. And when we try to do things that he's told us not to do, we begin to destroy our life. I'm going to use these examples a little bit later, but I want you to go to James with me right now, please. And I want to just talk to you for a few more moments and then give you just a couple things to think about as we end this retreat. James, chapter 4, verse 17. James, chapter 4, verse 17. Anyone then, 
I'll wait for it to come up there. When you guys are there, somebody say, I'm there. Awesome. Come on. You guys are beating the machine today. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is what? Sins. Okay. Hermonotoi in the Greek, missing the mark of God's perfection. Think of shooting a bow and arrow at a bullseye. You miss it. That is a sin. Hermonotoi. It means to miss the mark. All sin brings destruction. All sin brings death. And we have got to know our purpose so that we avoid the sins in this life. Is is everybody tracking with me right now? Okay, because I'm about ready to give you eight hindrances from you being the person God wants you to be after this retreat. And as I begin to go through these, I want you to get it in your heart. It's not just, well, you know, if I have sex outside of marriage one or two more times and then get married later, like it's going to be okay. No, not only are you going to be destroying yourself, you're not going to be able to do anything God's asking you to do relationally because you're using your life for the wrong purpose. And the good that he's asking you to do, you're totally missing. I like to use the example, imagine, you know, you go to your job. They tell you a job assignment, what are you going to, you know, what you need to do to get a paycheck. They come back 40 hours later. You know, let's say they, you work at a law firm and they ask you to file some, some documents. They ask you to type out some, some things between clients. And they come back and your hands are folded and you're just sitting there. And, they, and they're like, did you get done with any of the work? And they're like, and you're like, no, I didn't do that. And they're like, but what did you do here? And you're like, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal from you. I, did, I didn't slap the coworker over. I didn't hurt him. And I didn't molest your children. Is, is the employer going to say to you, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you for not raping and pillaging here on the job. Dude, you're awesome. Let's just put employee of the month up here. Forget that you didn't do jack diddly, but you didn't do all this bad stuff. Now, why is it when we talk about holiness, 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 what we always talk about is what I don't do. I don't do. I don't do. I don't do. You know, we never talk about what we do. Okay. You, you, if, if you don't use this for fishing, it doesn't matter what you do with it. It's unholy. If you don't use it for fishing, if you say, well, I'm going to try to use it for the internet, you know, at least I didn't whap anybody upside the head on it. You just sat and looked at a piece of wood for like a whole long time. You didn't make anything happen with it. And when you look at your life and you're like, yeah, but at least I didn't kill or murder anybody. Yeah, but did you help somebody? Did you preach to somebody? Did you love somebody? Did you pray for somebody? Did you do what your life was supposed to do? Or did you just sit without a purpose unholy and waste your life? See, God wants you to find your purpose. He wants you to see his commands as a part of fulfilling the purpose. Like not murdering people has a purpose because you're supposed to love people. It's not that you just don't murder people. You're supposed to love people. It's not just you're not telling lies. You're supposed to be telling the truth. Are you with me? The Bible says the one who used to steal isn't supposed to steal anymore, but now they are to do good things with their hands and their their life. Are you all ready for some of these hindrances? Amen. Because I want to encourage you. There are roadblocks and potholes that can come in every Christian's life, and I want to give you eight of them to overcome. They're in your 101 book, but they are powerful for us to talk about today. Number one, sexual perversion. See, Paul made lists in the Bible of our sins, how we miss the mark, how we do bad things. And do you know that almost every time he made a list, 
The first one on the list was sexual perversion. Do you know that that's the most common sin that I face as a pastor with people in the congregation? Sex outside of marriage, ungodly relationships, sexual things happening between people who aren't married, homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, pornography, that's a big one. Men lusting after other women with their eyes, confessing it to their, to their wives, you know, uh, masturbation, sex with oneself, all of these things. It is the number one thing I deal with as a pastor, and it was number one on Paul's list. But were we created for sexual perversion? Now, thank God we're not putting the body parts up here today. Okay, this could be, this could be weird really quick, okay? Like, what's that for? <sighs> I don't want to say. I don't want to say. I don't know how I got southern. I'd be whoo, like a Georgia bell. <laughs> oh, Pastor, I do declare you've made me feel very uncomfortable today. And some teenager in the back, I know what it's for. I know what it's for. Okay, we can talk about it without getting gross and perverted. We are made male and female for reproduction. There is joy in reproduction, amen? Okay, there is joy in that. But when you pervert it. See, what is perversion? See, perversion is perverting a purpose. It's veering off of what it was made for. That's why we use the term perversion. Sex was meant to be between one man, one woman in a committed relationship marriage. And the beauty of that is love and intimacy and offspring comes out of that. When we use sexual things outside of marriage and unity and love, it's perverted. It's unholy. And it will keep you from fulfilling God's purpose. Because while you're doing sexually perverted things, you're not remaining the person you're supposed to be, pure and holy, for the woman or man you're supposed to marry. I could talk to all the married men here and use men as an example and say, has the images and things you did as a teenage boy haunted you in your marriage to this day? And I guarantee you all the men would say, those images I saw as a young boy, those things I did with women, those haunt me to this day in my marriage. So it's not just avoiding it now, it's get rid of it once and for all. And if you've never gone into those areas, never go into those areas, and then find out what is the opposite of sexual perversion. 1 Corinthians 13, would you turn there with me please? Galatians 5.19 is the sin of sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and, um, and, and fornicaia, uh, fornication. That's Galatians 5.19. He gives three different types of sexual perversion. Let me just tell it to you real quick. There's the first type that involves sex. The other type involves touching and mishandling. And the third type involves your thoughts. All of it is impure. You're only supposed to have thoughts towards your wife. Physical, uh, physical touching with your wife and actual sex with your wife. Until then, take a cold shower, think about Jesus, think about the Virgin Mary, do whatever you've got to do. Do whatever you've got to do. When you think about it, put on my preaching. When you're online and you're about ready to go to Hooters.com, just go to MetroPraise.com and look at me right here preaching to you, baby. I'll help you stay pure. Amen? I will help you stay pure. Glory to God. Go to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 13. 
So it's like, oh, well, Pastor, you know, I, I haven't had sex because, you know, my wife and other women, they say, well, you know, we didn't have sex before marriage, but then they'll confess to you there was a lot of things they were doing that they ought not to have done. So what do we do instead of sexual perversion? Well, this is what we do. Uh, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always perseveres. Love never fails. So what do you do when you're single? You work on that. You work on your character. Don't work on your booty, ladies. Come on. Work on your character. Don't work on your muscles, men. Work on your character. Be that kind of single man or woman that attracts another lover. See, be a lover. And then this is what the Bible says, love the opposite sex as a brother or sister. So practice all of these things in your platonic friendships in the church. If you want to slap upside somebody's head all the time, they argue with you. When you get married, that's going to become your wife. She'll become your verbal punching bag. So you need to have those rough edges worked out in your friendships. So don't be perverted. Learn to love, love in a community of brothers and sisters, and then romantic love comes into your life, and it's at the right time. Build it upon love. That's the opposite of sexual perversion. You'll have a good life, and you'll hit the seventh heaven. Come on, baby. Amen. Glory to God. Let's go to another one that I think holds us up in many ways. Evil entertainment. Evil entertainment. Psalms 113.37. Would you please turn there with me quickly? We are in a generation, and this doesn't mean like my generation is young and yours is old if you're older and you're not a part of it. I mean generation as those who are alive right now, okay? Our generation, how many are alive today? Can I hear an amen? Okay, I'm talking about all of us are in a generation where perversion has become normal. Excessive violence has become normal, and it affects the way we look at life. It's actually changed our worldview. I'll give you an example, but I want to read this first. Psalms 137, verse 9, uh, verse, what verse is it? Because let me shut it out. 119, verse 37. I'm sorry, I said 137. 119, verse 37. We will get there. Here we are. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. You can see things on TV right now that your grandparents used to blush at, whether they were a Christian or not. But now it's broadcasted all over TV. From mob wives to the Jersey Shore to reality shows that bring to the secret. The Bible says, don't even talk about what the wicked do in secret. And we'll talk about it all day long. And then excesses of violence, excesses of just perversion, disrespect. And today in the Christian's home, what you wouldn't allow somebody to do in person, you will allow a movie to do in your home. Would you allow somebody to curse in your home? Would you allow somebody to be disrespectful, disrespectful to authority in your home? Would you allow somebody to denigrate women in your home? And yet today, we will allow it in our home by the form of entertainment. 
there is a uh, Christian movie that talks about like this old dude from the 1800s. He builds a time machine. He goes to the future and he's in the future and he goes with some Christians to a movie and he is just shocked by the blasphemies, the nudity that the Christians are watching. You see, my friends, what entertainment does for us And it's not wrong when it's done in a pure form. But what entertainment does for us is it draws up fantasies in our minds. I experienced this personally with my own uncle and aunt, Christians, for 20, 30 years. He began to get onto the Internet. He began to develop fantasies. He began to make relationships with women that weren't his wife, other women. Eventually, he left his wife for one of those women. You see what the Jersey Shore, Real Housewives of, you know, of, of New York and California, all these shows, what they start telling the women is, you're not living a good enough life. You're not satisfied. You really want more. And the women, they get sucked into this like those romantic novels at one time did, like these reality shows begin to transform a woman's understanding of who she is. Just take example, women. When you look at the covers of magazines, do they represent moms and wives anymore? When you look at the covers of these magazine women, who do they represent? They represent sexual perverted women. Women's hips that haven't been changed from childbirth. Women's bodies that haven't been affected from raising children. Women that are independent away from, uh, you know, their family and their husband. They present to you an idol of a woman that doesn't exist in the Bible. In the Bible, a woman is, is an intelligent woman. She can own a job, a business. She could do whatever. But the primary role is to be there in the house and to raise the children. And see, what has happened is entertainment took that away from the women. And what have we replaced it with? A generation of young people that have lost their identity because the mother's not there to train them up anymore. And then you look at the father. I mean, really, when was the last time you even saw something in entertainment that even represented a father? I mean, when was the last time the father wasn't the boob, the nincompoop, the sexually perverted one, the one that's always out of the loop? When was the last time you even saw something like this? What, maybe the Cosby show? The Cosby show? I mean, you got to give it to him. I mean, at least the father was an educated, intelligent man that was respected in his home. I'll give it up to Huxtable. But you can't even think about that anymore. Men now are told to be, you know, supermodels, be buff, to have all of this free time to spend on all of their leisure and their hobbies. I mean, I feel the pressure as a young adult. I have so many young adult friends that want me to do all their hobbies with them, you know, from paintballing to racquetballing to wakeboarding to snowboard. It's like the idea of a man is just to be a big kid. That's the entertainment. I mean, Charlie Sheen, the big kid. Brad Pitt, the big kid. Just, just be a, be a slacker. And what has happened to our children as a result of this? We have more children with confused sexual identities. We have more children that are involved in violence and gangs. You saw that beating in Chicago of this Asian young man, despicable. The parents, one of them got involved and brought, brought the son to justice. Praise God, there's somebody out there being involved. But it's so less than what it used to be or what it could be. I want to ask you to guard your heart. The Bible asks you to do it now. Guess what? Entertainment has a purpose. Entertainment has a purpose. 
Use entertainment to dream dreams, to go places you couldn't go. History Channel, learn. Use entertainment to help you see preaching in other nations, uh, building relationships with other people online through Skype, uh, you know, seeing the world that you couldn't see. I have such a heart for missions because I can watch these shows, and you can use entertainment, music, and, and, and the friendships that you can go with these things, the Six Flags. You can all use it for a pure reason, and at the end of the day, you're closer to your family. You enjoyed the song. You enjoyed the movie and it didn't take you away from God. Amen. Number three, love of money and wealth. I have five more to go, but only 12 more minutes. How did that happen? (laughs) Somebody's just smirking and they're like, I'm so glad he only has 12 more minutes. Come on. How many like to preach in this afternoon? Can you say amen? Amen. The love of money. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. Then I'll just shoot the other two, and of course they're in the seven-step uh, new life book. But I just want to encourage you with this because if a retreat doesn't change these parts of you, you miss your purpose. Look at First Timothy chapter six, verse ten. Can I give you a heads up? Can I tell you how some already can know if they love money? If you're upset, I'm going to talk about money. So if right now you just went, oh, dude, he's going to talk about money. Bingo, you're the one we're looking for right now, okay? If you're starting to get uncomfortable, you're that guy God wants to speak to right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Ever hear of Katy Perry? Preacher's daughter used to sing worship songs in congregations like this. People have traded their purpose for money. We look at these businesses today and we see corporate greed and corruption and we think that it's just a problem of, you know, just a few guys made a few bad decisions. No, it's a heart problem. When you tell people they're just evolved animals and it's survival of the fittest and that there is no real moral right and wrong, why do you think Enrons are going to happen? Because there is no moral right and wrong. What's best for me is what's best for me. Who cares about you, baby? That's Madoff. Madoff. And then his son commits suicide. Hey, game over. I win. See, in the atheist model, he won. See, if there's no God, there's no judgment, then get rich or die trying. Come on, somebody. And it happens from political white-collar greed to the people working the street corners right now selling drugs, is uh, doing illicit affairs. And then somewhere in between is where most of you are. It's where hard-working people get up in the morning doing a job that you enjoy, but it can become tiresome when done over and over again. But you keep that job because you see the benefit it brings you. I have something to bring home to my family. And what happens somewhere in your pursuit of those good things, this root of love of money begins to grab a hold of your heart. Because you live in a culture that always tells you more is better. The moment I bought, I waited for the iPad 2 because I said, I mean, the iPad 2 has got to be better than the iPad 1, right? So I got to get the iPad 2. The moment I bought the iPad 2, guess what they were saying? The iPad 3 is going to be awesome. You're not even ready for it. It is going to pop up off the table, cook you a dinner, massage your back, and then play a violin song romantically for you and your wife, and then sing you a lullaby. 
And I'm about ready to go, just stop it, stop creating stuff. Because we just get on this rat race. And, and, and for most of you, it starts off like, okay, I got a job, got some extra money, I need a car. Okay, now I need to run a little bit faster. I, I, I got a job, I got some extra things, I got a car. But now I want to live in a nicer apartment. Okay, now I got a car, a nicer apartment, and I got some things. But I want to take that vacation to, to Disney World. So I got a car, I got a nice apartment, I got some nice things. And then now it's Christmas time, so I got to give my friends some things. <sighs> How many feel tired sometimes? You're just, you're just spending it. You're just spending it. And, and then you didn't, you don't feel it anymore. You talk about what we used to spend money on in our grandparents' generation. You would spend two or three hundred dollars on a living room table, a couch. You would keep it for the rest of your life, hand it down to your children. We'll spend money on technology now that they would spend on furniture to hand down from generation to generation. And a few months later, it's worthless. And we're so empty. We're so empty with materialism. But what is the answer to materialism? The kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you become a bum. It doesn't mean you neglect your family. What it, what it means is you see your job and your family as a part of a bigger thing. That when you work and provide for your family, you're representing the kingdom of God here. And then what you have, you sow into heavenly uh, rewards, into places that make a difference. You teach your children the love of giving. And then you can hit the moon in success. And then it's not just a vain attempt to get purpose in life. When you hit success, you're happy because you're bringing so many people with you because you're there to to share caring is sharing and so how do you break the love of money by giving money it gets so quiet but if you learn to live to give you see your purpose i receive a paycheck like you i get happy on payday but i'm still learning to be happy on give day and it's for more than just my four and no more amen which literally my family is uh uh, i was gonna say it's four but it's not four it's five No, is it four? It's four. It will be five. Thank you, my brother. He's keeping track, helping me out. That's what he's there for. He has all the answers today. All the answers. Let me give you a few more just quickly, and then I'll end with an illustration. Okay, sexual perversion is meant for purity. Evil entertainment is meant for joy and time with family. Love Love of money and wealth is meant for the kingdom of God. False religion is meant for true worship unto God. Anger and unforgiveness is meant for forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Negative habits are meant for good habits and life-changing skills that we learn along the way. Fearful behavior is to be replaced with boldness and courage. And rebellion is to be replaced with humility and submission. When you find your purpose in life, you can be the person God called you to be. You see this paintbrush right here. Is so small, but it can paint a Picasso. He painted things like this. You can make the most beautiful life, even if you say, I have such little in my hands, if you just use it for God's glory. If you just let him use your life for how he made you. And today... As we're getting ready to close out the retreat within five minutes because these guys are going to beat me up if I'm not done because they got to get this place ready for the 5 o'clock service. And I'm just saying that so I can stall and make more time. So look back up at me, please. You are going to leave out of here changed 
But now you've got to live it. Be holy, for your God is holy. So when you're given the chance to stick this in your ear and poke it up your neighbor's nose or do whatever crazy thing you could think of with this, say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to look at pornography. We're not going to have sex before marriage. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to be bitter and unforgiving. I'm not going to be rebellious. I'm not going to be a part of a false religion. I am going to be who God called me to be. And I'm going to keep letting him use my life like strokes on a, a canvas so that he can make something beautiful out of who I am because I can't do it by myself. He has to do it through me. He has to use me. And what he wants to use is a holy vessel, somebody that surrendered to him. Amen? And let me just say this in closing as an example. We all don't do it right all the time. Has anybody here lived out the perfect Christian life since they've been saved? May we uh, see who you are if you are in this place. We want to take a picture with you afterwards and put hypocrite as the title. <laughs> You know, these these staples, they're pretty flimsy, and they're kind of made that way because you know when you, you staple something, if you don't want it to stay that way, you can kind of bend it back, can't you? You see, you can straighten it back up. You've ever had to take out a staple out of a document? You probably never thought you would hear a sermon about it, but you are right now. That pastor, he blows my mind. Staples and fishing rods. Awesome, awesome. Somebody set it up here in the baptismal tank. They said, if a righteous person falls seven times, they get back up. The Bible said that. You see, God made us pliable like clay so that when we get bent up like this as a new creation because we're pure and holy and we mess up, God says, I can put you right back in place. And the word is called repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. It's not what preachers should just be shouting out all the time in anger. Repent! I told you, repent! You know, it's not something you, you're like, Pastor, that kind of sounds like you. No, but listen, it's not supposed to be said angry all the time. Look, just mark this down. Take out the video camera. I'm going to say it nicely. Repent. When, when you sin, just repent. Just repent. Look at your neighbor and say, he's smiling. See, I don't know how real it is, but he's smiling. Okay, you'll never know how real it is. But anyways, repentance is a good word to a sinner because repentance means a sinner can be forgiven. It's a good thing for moms and dads to hear because they can go back to each other and say, forgive me, I shouldn't have spoke to you that way. I repent. It's a good thing for young kids and children to learn because they can go back to mom and dad and say, Mom, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I should have done better in school. I repent. It's good for us in the church and in society to go back to people, our bosses, and say, Hey, you know, I'm not going to push it off on the other department. It was our department. I was in charge of the project. Man, I'm sorry. Give me another chance. Biblical repentance is the roadway of holiness. It is the pathway of holiness. It is not to be used and abused to say, well, I'm just going to sin all I want because I can be forgiven as all I want. No, then you're not on the path of holiness. Repentance for the Christian is the one who genuinely in their heart is saying, I do want to do what's right. I do want to walk on this path. But what do I do when I mess up? 
Jesus says, repent. In closing, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm quoting it from memory as you guys are turning there. Quickly turn there. Clock is ticking down. John, beloved disciple of Jesus, he said this to his followers. He said, I write you these things that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the righteous one, Christ Jesus, who is not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the world. I said it in King James. Let's read it in modern English. Verse 1, I write you these things that you do not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Next verse, please. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask you to do something today. Life group leaders, would you just run up here quickly? Please, profevor. Vamanos. No, rapido, rapido. Do I speak the mother tongue well? Yes. Are you proud of me? Yes. Gracias. <laughs> Viva la Mexico! <laughs> oh, Puerto Rican. <laughs> I told you that gringo don't know nothing. That gringo thinks we're all alike. What's wrong with them? Okay, here's how we, here's how we close out. These life group leaders have permission to find any place they want in this building to spend the next hour with you. Four o'clock, go home, enjoy the rest of the evening. But give God one more hour. Find a life group. Squat on the floor. Get some chairs in a circle. Sit in the snow, build a snowman. Anybody that crazy? Some of the youth may want to do that. Now, me, I got a little, yeah. Like, yeah, whatever, pastor. Whatever, whatever. Okay, anyways, you know the youth pastor has to be kind of, you know, cool. So he's cool. Anyways, hasn't Adam done a great job with the band? I can't tease him too much. Come on. Amen. Just... Get with these life group leaders. If you don't know what a life group is, it's a home Bible study that meets once a week. These are the the leaders of it. It meets in their homes. And just gather up, go out there, find a place, and then we'll see you tomorrow at church, okay? But this is what I want. I want us to really just talk about this. What we talked about. Just like, hey, any of those things that Pastor hit on think you might want to have us pray for today? Any of those things Pastor dealt with maybe just kind of stuck an arrow in your heart? Can we just lift that up? No condo bondo. Nobody here is judging you. Let's just all put it on the table so that when we leave Wisconsin, we left it here. Amen? We understand what we're made for. And then you're dismissed after that, you know? I mean, there's a lot of you that have to help and clean up. Thank you. And come to your services tomorrow, please. You know, if you're the 9 a.m., come to the 9 a.m., you know, 11 a.m. If you're wicker, come to the wicker. But then everybody show up 7 o'clock for a Holy Ghost revival. We're going to lay hands on everybody, and there's going to be a lot of miracles. Amen? Amen. Brother, would you close us out in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for every person that made it out here today, oh, Father God. And we thank you for your spirit being thick and heavy and present here in our in our service, Lord, Father God. And we thank you for those that made sacrifices to, to get here for, for our leadership, Lord. We, we pray that, that you would continue to bless them with wisdom and insight, Lord, Father God, and Pastor Glenn as well as he came over here, Lord, Father God. We just thank you for that, Lord. And as we feed on the word, Lord, Father God, let us grow and let us seek and ask for you to come into our hearts, Lord, daily. Not just today, but to continue to take this message out to those who are lost, Lord, Father God. We thank you, Lord, and let us not just be comfortable with what was heard, but let us take it out to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God bless you. Come and bum rush them. Come on. Figure out what's going on. They're going to pick some spots. Come and bum rush the front. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Boom. Thank you. If you're not in a life group, it's time to find one. Come on. Don't be shy.